We've been in the book of Matthew. We're going to continue in the book of Matthew. Um, we're up to chapter 11 today. So chapter 11, um, starting in verse 1. It's going to be kind of a long text. And, uh, and I know that, like your first thought's going to be like, like, why is this guy preaching this text? Because I'm usually like the two or three verse guy. Um, there's a lot of narrative here. So we're, we're going we're gonna to shoot pretty, we're going to scoot through this, all right? We'll be okay. I know I say that every time, but we'll, we'll be okay, really. Matthew, chapter 11, starting in verse 1. We're going to go, uh, we're going to go to 19. When Jesus finished instructing his 12 disciples, he went on from there to teach and to preach in their cities. Now when John heard in prison about the deeds of Christ, he sent word by his disciples and said to them, Are you the one who... And said to him, Are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? And Jesus answered them, Go and tell John what you hear and what you see. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear, and the dead are raised up, and the poor have good news preached to them. And blessed is the one who is not offended by my name, or by me. And as they went away, Jesus began to speak to the crowds concerning John. What did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind? What then did you, go, did you go out to see? A man dressed in soft clothing. Behold, those who wear soft clothing are in king's houses. What then did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I tell you, and more than a prophet. This is he of whom it is written, Behold, I send my messenger before your face who will prepare your way before you. Truly I say to you, among those born of women, there has not arisen one greater than John the Baptist. Yet the one who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has suffered violence, and the violent take it by force. For all the prophets in the law prophesied until John. And if you're willing to accept it, he is Elijah who was to come. Who, he who has ears, let him hear. But to what shall I compare this generation? It is like children sitting in the marketplaces and calling to their playmates. We played the flute for you and you did not dance. We sang a dirge and you did not mourn. For John came neither eating nor drinking and they said of him, he has a demon. The son of man came eating and drinking and they say of him, look at him, a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Yet wisdom is justified by her deeds. I don't know why I got this. Because this is like, this is a horrible text. Uh, and, I, and I don't, I, I mean, and like there's some stuff here that's just like, you know, I don't think it's good pulpit stuff, but we're going to give it a shot. All right. So uh, again, I know this is a lot. We're going to speed run this thing. All right. Um, so um, trust me, there's a lot of stuff in here we're chewing on and we're digging into and we're um, plumbing the depths of and studying. So go home and do that. Right, like when you're when you're done with this, whatever comes out of this, and whatever you can grab onto and take, um, like let the real study begin when you get home. We're only going to scratch the surface on this today, okay? And there's a couple things in here that that some scholars and theologians have some different I- ideas on, um, and so I'm going to share mine, um, and it doesn't necessarily mean it's right, um, but uh, just to just to let you know that you guys still have responsibility to go home. And uh, gosh, that makes it sound so bad. You have the privilege 
to go home and open your Bibles and just bathe in this stuff that we barely touch here on a Sunday morning. So this is our text today. This sermon's going to be called the, the Ballad of Johnny B. And uh, I think it's an appropriate name. Uh, I, I've always wanted to use that title, and I just think this is a good place to do it. So, Because uh, really what we're doing is we're talking about John the Baptist today, um, if you noticed what's going on here. okay? And uh, we're also going back to narrative, if you notice. There's a lot of narrative here, so yes, there's still some theological depth and some statements that are going to be made, but some of it um, is just historical narrative as well, and so that's why we're going to be able to move through it a little bit, and you're like, okay, well then do it already. Um, so verse, verse one, uh, what we know um, right now off the bat, verse one, is that this is, this is public. We're, we're shifting again from private to public with what we see going on here and what Jesus is saying, right? So he's been in kind of this private briefing um, just prior to this with his disciples and giving them some teachings about going out as sheep among wolves um, and all that kind of stuff. And now, as we see in verse 1 of chapter 11, uh, it's, this, is, this is back to a public thing. That private briefing's done. There's people around. He's going to cities and towns. And so that's where we find our, ourselves at. Jesus is out there do, doing what he's doing, but John the Baptist is in prison. He's locked up. He's doing time, right? Um, and so what he wants to do is he wants to send his disciples on a recon mission to, to clear a couple things up, right? And this is, this is really where it starts. We find this in verses 2 and 3. Now, when John heard in prison about the deeds of the Christ, he sent word by his disciples and said to them, are you the one who is to come or shall we look for another? So the disciples come to Jesus, they find him, and they ask him, John wants to know, like, are, are you the anointed one? Are you the Messiah? Or should we just move along? Should we, should we be looking for someone other than you? Are you not it? Okay? Now consider for a moment this question. <laughs> um, consider how weird or strange this question is. For John the Baptist to send to Jesus, right? So, so um, it's strange because we had this little event that has already happened prior, historically, called the baptism of Jesus. <laughs> you guys all remember that little event, <clears throat> right? And and so the question is like, who baptized Jesus when that happened? Answer: John the Baptist. And there's this statement that John the Baptist makes when he sees Jesus coming, right, to baptize him. And it's probably one of the greatest statements that we even have in all of Scripture. Behold, the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world, right? So um, what's interesting about this is that he spoke that as a statement when he said that, not a question, right? Like when, when John said that, it was a proclamation he was making, not a possibility, right? Like it, it was a certainty, not a hunch that Jesus was the anointed one, that Jesus was in fact the Messiah. And yet here we are seeing John send a message by his disciples to find out if Jesus is the anointed one or not. It's, it's bizarre, right? So why, why the doubt? That's what we have here. If you guys haven't figured that out yet, this is called doubt. 
This is what I have a lot of as a Christian at different times of my life, sometimes more than others, and it's what I think, if you guys are being honest, and any Christian is being honest, we all have at times. I think, I think someone's lying if they said, I've never once doubted anything about God. Okay, whatever, you know? Doubt. John the Baptist is doubting Jesus, and, and why? Why is he doubting what was once a certain proclamation, right? A certainty, something that was emphatic. Well, he's doing it because he's still in jail. He's still in jail. Um, he's scheduled to lose his head in a couple of weeks, and he hasn't been delivered yet. And it wasn't supposed to work that way. Right? Like, like, like to, the, to the Jewish, like if the, if the Messiah has arrived, he shouldn't be sitting in jail still. Like he, he should have been liberated by now. Right? Last time I, I taught on, um, um, I think it was the fears of Jesus sending his sheep out among wolves. We, we called it the fear factor. Right? Um, this is the doubt factor today. This is what we're talking about for Christians. Like this is the doubt factor. Um, and there was a very present doubt factor throughout the life and the times of Christ because Jesus wasn't doing some of the things that people thought he would do when he came. Now, he's doing some crazy stuff. I mean, we're going to see it in the next two verses when he answers, like, go tell them what you do see. And we're seeing a bunch of pretty interesting, amazing, miraculous things he's doing. But the Jew was not looking for those kind of things when the Messiah showed up. The Jew was looking for their independence back. The Jews were looking for Rome to be conquered and cast off. They were looking for a military guy to come and restore peace and power and independence to the Jewish nation. And instead, they got, they got some dude out doing just some weird stuff and saying some weird stuff, and he's, and he's homeless and hated, and, and they're like, what's this? And, and John's still sitting in prison, and he's going to lose his head, Right? He hadn't been released. He hadn't been vindicated. His situation hadn't changed. He's still sitting in jail while Jesus is out traveling around doing other things. And so John doubts. He's doubting at this point that it might be him. This is, um, and, and I want you to know, like saying that about Israel, um, in large part, the, the Jew, the, the nation of Israel, um, thinks the same thing today. They do not look at Jesus and go, our Messiah, the anointed one. Some are getting saved. God's saving some, right? But in large part, they look at Jesus and they go, that dude was a fraud. He was not the one we're waiting for. They're still waiting for the one they're waiting for. They don't believe it was Christ. Uh, there's this really rad, um, like little, uh, this YouTube guy that I got turned on to by accident. Uh, it's called So Be It with an exclamation mark after it. And it's a Jewish dude that's been converted. And now he's just over there with his people every day um, filming conversations on the street with Jews about who they thought Christ is. And you'll see this. This is the, the thing you will see through all of it. And some people are getting saved too. Like this thing's rad. You gotta go check it out. So be it is the name of it. But, 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 but most of them, he'll, he'll, they'll, he'll just say, who do you think Jesus was? And they'll be like, I don't know. But he wasn't the one we're looking for because he didn't do these things. So there's, there's still this rejection. There's still this den denial, right? The Orthodox Jew, um, their prophetic timeline when they look at their, their Hebrew scriptures concerning Christ, was not accurate. So when they looked at Jesus, he didn't look accurate to them. 
when he first showed up. Like to them, this, this whole, this whole um, the Messiah coming was to be this instant manifestation of David's throne and David's power and David's glory and David's kingdom. It's like this all-in-one meal deal. You know what I mean? Um, they didn't realize that like there's going to be a prelude. Like, the, like there's several stages to, to the ultimate fulfillments of the prophecy, right? So they're like, yeah, that, was, that wasn't him. So uh, John is wrestling with this right now because of his circumstance. Just like you and I, when we start struggling because things get hard and life starts to press on us and something goes wrong and someone we love doesn't live the way that we want them to live, Right? I don't know about you, but my thing is to doubt. God, are you really good? Are you really there? Are you really listening? Are you really for me? Are you really for them? (laughs) It goes on and on and on because of the circumstance that I find myself in. I've done this a lot with this kid that I mentioned this morning. I don't know how many times I have wrestled and wrestled and wrestled with God and the things that the Bible says about his character and his attributes and his mind towards me and his heart towards me. I don't know how many times I have close to spit on it in doubt, right? John's kind of, re- he's wrestling with this. His, his doubt dilemma is, is one of Jesus employing a very different strategy than John thought he would or thought he should, right? Um, are, are you him is the question. Or shall we look for another, right? Which brings us to 4, 6, the response of Jesus, uh, verses 4 4 through 6. And Jesus answered them and said, go tell John what you hear and see. The blind receive their sight and the lame walk and lepers are cleansed and the deaf hear and the dead are raised up and the poor have good news preached to them and blessed is the one who is not offended by me. Couldn't he have just said yes? You know what I mean? Like... Like, this is so Jesus, you know what I mean? It's just such a, such a Jesus response, you know? Uh, just yes or no would be good, you know? Uh, are, you, are you the one, or should we go look for another? No, go tell him yes. No, he, he doesn't. He does, like, this, this cryptic thing, you know, like, like Jesus usually does. But, but the truth is, like, it's not cryptic at all, at all. Um, in fact, this answer, this response is a better response. It's a more assured answer to John, for John, than if he had simply said yes, right? Um, Why? Well, because he appeals to the Hebrew scriptures, ones that John would know, right, which by doing so validates his claim. It validates his his answer. Um, It doesn't lessen his claim. It it actually validates it. It brings more value to it. See, anybody could have said, yeah, yep, go tell him that's me, right? But the one who is valid, the one who is authentic and true will be an insider to that which is true, right? Validation and, and, and authentication by a prophetic word. That's the route, that's the strategy that, that Jesus employs here. So by doing so, like, like Jesus say, is saying, like, if, do you want to know if I'm really the Messiah? Look at what the Bible says. Look at, look at what your scriptures say. Look at what they say about the Messiah. Um, what does it say? And then what am I doing? What am I teaching? What do you see coming out of me? Does that line up? Does that match up? Right? That's really what it is. It's a challenge, right, to see if this, the, these two things match up. Um, and there is, there's your answer if they do, 
There, there's your answer. So, so this answer by Jesus to John was a greater assurance to John of Jesus' validity. Now, you may notice that um, what Jesus does here is not reference verbatim a scripture as he goes through these list of things that he's, go tell John I'm doing these things. He doesn't reference verbatim a scripture, but he pulls together a collection of scriptures that would communicate a, a broader collection of scriptural truth within a smaller amount of time. So he's condensing a bunch of truth statements, scripture statements, into one, right? To pack more of a punch of, of, of truth. I don't know if you've ever heard this word, uh, metalepsis. It's a fairly new word to me. Metalepsis is when you gather a conflation of, of, of information, or in this case, scriptures together, to solidify a scriptural truth, condensed. Um, have you ever gone into your Bible, you're reading something in the New Testament, maybe one of the epistles, and you see a quote where they're quoting from the Old Testament, and you turn back to where that quote is, and it doesn't line up verbatim? Sometimes that's because of the Septuagint's being quoted and all that stuff. There's some, but sometimes it's just metalepsis. Sometimes they're just, they're just actually just helping us do less work, <laughs> and they're condensing more truth in, into a small amount of space. And Jesus is really doing this here with, with what he, uh, he says. This is actually a collection of verses here in 4 and 5 from Isaiah. So he's, take, he's basically taking them through a really quick Bible study of Isaiah in this short amount of time. The blind receive their sight, Isaiah 29, 18. The lame walk, Isaiah 35, 6. The lepers cleansed, Isaiah 53, 4. The deaf hear, Isaiah 29, 18. The dead are raised, Isaiah 26, 18. The good news preached to the poor, Isaiah 61. Like he's just, he's just, he's just pulling all this stuff together. It's still true. He's just, put, he's just making it easy for him. He's putting the cookies on the bottom shelf. You know what I'm saying? This is what's going on. So, and, 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 then, and then he pulls all of these, these statements together to form... Um, the, uh, uh, he basically ends here, blessed is the one who is not offended by me. He adds that onto the end, right? And um, what he's really saying here is who, who does not, blessed is the one who does not find my claim to be false, right? Who I'm saying I am to be untrue. Blessed is the one who doesn't do that, right? And of course, this is an offense statement um, that can be relevant for all of us in our times of doubt. But, but this is especially appropriate for John right now because of where he's sitting and what's ahead of him. Blessed are you, John. I know it looks bad right now. I know that none of this looks right, and it looks like you're losing, and it looks like I'm losing, and it looks like your nation's losing. Like, I get, I get your doubt right now, what it looks like to you. But blessed are you who does not recant, who does not give in. All right, 7 through 10. See, we're scooting. We're scooting. We're making, we're making some time here. 7 through 10, they went away. Jesus begins to speak to the crowd concerning John. So, so he gives them the answer they need. He says, go deliver this. Go deliver this back to John, right? And this is in public. Remember this. So people are actually standing around as John's disciples come and ask this question. Jesus gives the response like people are hearing this. So they go away, and Jesus like, kind of like turns to them, and he decides to give them now a Bible study on John, because everyone knew who John was. In fact, we're going to see that right here in these next couple verses. These people traveled at one time out into stupid places to hear from this guy, right? They knew who John was, but they're, but they're, they're having doubts about John, and Jesus knows it because John's sitting in jail. His ministry, whatever looked like it was going to be this big deal, is not a big deal now. 
And so Jesus is, is going to turn to them, and he's going to pay tribute to John in front of these crowds. It's a pretty cool thing, honestly. Um, let's jump into it. His disciples bail. Jesus takes a moment to the onlooking crowd, gives them a Bible study, another Bible study, just all kinds of Bible studies going on, right? Um, and he pays tribute to John. Who was this? What was his significance, right? Um, and again, they all knew who John was. So he turns his, his attention to them, and he, he says three things. Actually, he asks three questions, right? Um, and he's, he's just trying to, like, remind them of um, what they did back then, a few months ago, when they made those journeys into the wilderness. Like, why in the world did you do that? You know what I mean? If it was of no consequence. So he's going he's to refresh their, their brains here. He asked them three questions. What did you go to the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind or maybe a man dressed in soft clothing or a prophet? Now, we'll just stop there real quick. And what Jesus is doing is he's stating the obvious, right? He's stating the obvious. He's using this sarcasm to, to, again, establish in them the reason they made those trips into the desert right, um, to remind them of that which really attracted them to John and to the wilderness. And it wasn't to see a reed blowing in the wind. Like that was commonplace. They could see that all the time, anytime they're traveling. Like, no, it's like saying, like, like I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to travel all the way to the beach to see a seagull. You know what I mean? Like who cares, you know? I mean, maybe, I'm sorry, maybe some of you do. They're weird. They're, uh, they're gross creatures. Um, <laughs> Like, it's common, right? Like, it's not like, if you go and see a whale, that's kind of a big deal, you know? A seagull, like, who cares? I'm, go I'm going to the beach to see a grain of sand. Is that why you're going there? No. Um, he's kind of like saying, this, it's something that's unimpressive. Like, of course not. Of course that's not why you went out there. And then, and then he references a dude that's dressed in, like, palace clothes, right? Cruising around in a dirty, hostile environment, right? Like, is that why you went out? Did you go out to see, you know, like, someone that's dressed to the nines? like cruising around in the dirt, you know, which is ridiculous because you wouldn't. If you want to see something like that, you would go to where royalty lives. You would go to a palace. You don't go into the wilderness to see that. So of, of course not, again, right, the obvious thing, stating the obvious. So why then did they go? What was it that attracted you out there? A prophet, he asks, one who, and, and by the way, a prophet is just one who brings forth the oracles of God. That's it. It's, it's, it's gotten so abused and so thrown around in weird ways that it's only somebody's fortune-telling. That's all it is like in the church these days. Oh, I have a word from the Lord. This thing's going to happen next week. This thing's going to happen next month. And we call that prophecy. No, prophecy, go, go look at it if you don't believe me. The very definition of prophecy, and you can see this actually, this pattern throughout your Bible with prophet. It's one who brings forth the oracles of God. So like I'm standing up here right now with a closed cannon, I've got the complete word of God preserved and in front of me. This is God for us right here, okay? I don't need to add anything to this. There is nothing to add to this, okay? But as I teach it and as I exposit it and as I unpack it, what I'm also doing is I'm bringing forth the oracles of God to you. So in a way, I'm also prophesying, not because I'm saying something new and I'm telling the future, I'm saying, I'm, I'm, I'm proclaiming and bringing forth something on the backside of what's already here. That's prophecy too. And I don't know why I just went off into that, but I did. There you go. That's a bonus. Don't, don't, don't know what that was. So he's like, did you go out to see a prophet, right? Which is one who proclaims the oracles of God. And, and uh, like that's the ding, 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 like right answer. 
That's exactly why they went out there. They made a trip because something interesting was going on with an interesting guy proclaiming some interesting stuff out in the middle of the wilderness. That's why they took the trip out there. That's what they went out there to see. And, and now that Jesus has reestablished in them the reason for their attraction into the wilderness, he then continues to establish the validity of John the Baptist, though he now sits in jail, right? And, and, and he does it once again by appealing to their Hebrew scriptures, verse 10. Behold, I send my messenger, Jesus quotes, before your face, who will prepare your way before you. Where's he drawing that from? He's drawing that from Malachi chapter 3, verse 1. And by the way, I'm going to shoot off, I'm going like, I'm gonna, to I'm gonna fire off a bunch of texts. I'm not going to wait for you to go there. I don't want you to. Um, so if you're interested in that stuff, write it down or go back and listen to the sermon later if you want to go do a study. We've got we to move through these things pretty quick. But he's quoting from Malachi 3.1, right? Um, or, or Malachi, like some of us like to say. But if he was Italian, Malachi, dude, that's what it is. Um, yeah, that's old and stupid. I know. I heard that like 30 years ago. Um, he's appealing once again to Scripture for his credibility, for the claims that he's making. That's what Jesus is doing here. And by, by doing so, he's stating that John the Baptist was, was, in fact, that messenger, quote unquote, that's being talked about here. He's telling them John is that messenger that your prophet talked about back here in this book in these scriptures, right, that was chosen specifically by God to prepare the way for Jesus. In other words, this goes without saying, John was special. Like John the Baptist was special. His ministry was special. Uh, not because of him, but because God made him special. <laughs> like he's a, he was a special guy. And, and, and it's from here that things are going to get a little weird, okay? You ready? All right. Look at verse 11. Truly I say to you, among those born of women, there is arisen no one greater than John the Baptist, yet the one who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. Uh, what do you do with this, you know? Uh, there's all kinds of people that have some different interpretations of what this is. You can go some different directions with it. Again, this is just through my studies, what I think uh, is best here is what's going on here for me. But you guys all are responsible to go and, and study it yourself. First of all, this is an intriguing statement, and it's intriguing uh, because you've got the greatest being talked about in one sense, and then you've got the least being talked about in another sense. And that's just straight weird. That's just a, a weird thing to put your, it kind of catches our eye. It also catches our eye because in our minds, there's not supposed to be this greater lesser thing going on in God's economy. You know what I mean? Um, like, like God doesn't prefer, God doesn't discriminate, God doesn't elevate or play favorites, right? Because he's perfectly fair and heaven is a perfectly socialistic, um, you know, reality where we're all exactly the same and we get the same thing. No, we don't. Like, that's just that's not biblical. Um, but, the, but that's another reason why I think verses like this can look really odd to us. Um, so a verse like this gets our full attention, but it also gets our attention because he's, he's bringing forth this mysterious contradiction, right? No one's greater than John in one sense, and yet the least are greater than John in another sense. Um, so what is Jesus saying? The more that I looked at this and studied this this week, there is one phrase in here that didn't make any sense to me being here. And usually when that happens... Just so you guys know, if you don't know this already, when you're reading your Bibles and you see something that's like, well, they could have left that out of there, it means something really important. It's actually tipping us off to something that's key to our exposition. And that phrase in this was born of a woman. 
Why in the world did he have to tell us that John was born of a woman? Did the aliens drop him off one day? No. We all know that he had parents and that he was born of a woman. He's a human being. But he makes this distinction, born of a woman, and then he offsets it, if you look at the second part of his phrase, with the kingdom of, of heaven. It's a weird thing, right? So why does he do this? Because they were born of a woman too, I'm pretty sure, anyone who ends up in the kingdom of heaven, right? Kind of an odd thing. Um, it's easy for you, and I, you and I have a handicap, we have a cheat, again, because we're on the backside of this thing. <laughs> you know what I mean? So, so we, we know the end of the story. We know the rest of the story. We know how things have tied together where they may, may have been a mystery for them back then as it was still unfolding. Uh, we, have, we have the benefit of the fullness of the scriptures, right, to, to help us out and to aid us. And there's a couple of interesting things that Jesus did and interesting things that Jesus ushered in during his earthly ministry, Right? Things that he talked about that were interesting as a result of his death and his resurrection and his ascension, he had to go away. Why? So the Holy Spirit could come. So the Comforter could come, right? Um, this is New Covenant stuff. This is what we call New Covenant. The New Covenant is in his blood. Not the law, the cross. That's the New Covenant. And with the New Covenant, there's a new birth that occurs. What did he tell Nicodemus, John chapter 3? Unless you are born again, born from above, you cannot see, which means you can't, you can't, you can't enter, you can't experience, you can't know, you can't become a citizen of the kingdom of heaven. So there's a whole nother birth that Jesus brings with the new covenant made in his blood which is one of the Holy Spirit. He also actually says in John 3 right there, right, uh, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, right, he cannot do that. And then the next verse, because there's all kinds of arguments about that, well, water means water baptism. No, it means natural birth. If you look at the next verse, born of a woman, if you look at the next verse, he says, for that which is of the flesh is flesh, and that which is of the Spirit is spirit. That's how we know what he meant by water, is by what he what he follows it up with, right? So we actually have this idea of different births. And so this is, this is new covenant language, right? Um, and so I, I, I really believe that this is what's behind what's being said here by Jesus with the greatest in this sense and the least in this sense, okay? Again, uh, don't take my word for it. I'm a fallible human being. I don't always read my Bible right. Uh, go home and study it. Read some smart people. There's all kinds of smart people out there. Uh, see what kind of conclusion you come to. But that's uh, where I am on this, okay? The other obvious meaning or secondary meaning to this it would be that John was assigned one of the greatest tasks, right? One of the greatest tasks in the history of humankind. You know what I mean? Like, he was like the Ed McMahon of Jesus' day. He was the one who got to say to the world, like, here's Jesus, you know what I mean? He got to introduce Jesus to the world. I don't think there's anyone greater than that. I don't think Abraham can top that. I don't think David can top that. People can't top that. Like, that's just a big deal, right? He was the end of that line, and then he gave the introduction, right? So greatest in that sense, and yet he lost his head for doing it, least in that sense, okay? 
there's several ways you can go with this. All right, let's move on because it's about to get weirder. Um, 12 through 15, let's read those. Verses 12 through 15, from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has suffered violence, and the violent take it by force. For all the prophets in the law prophesied until John. And if you're willing to accept it, he is Elijah, who is to come. He who has near, let him hear. Um, this is just nuts stuff. I'm not going to spend too much time on it. Uh, but, but Jesus, starting, starting in 12, is basically saying, like, in their current day, in that day, the days of Jesus, the days of John, um, the kingdom of heaven has become characterized by violence and violent people, right? In the name, in the name of righteousness and religion. I mean, almost everything that was, the reason John was in jail was because of the religious people. The reason Jesus went to the cross was because of the religious people. Jesus just ta- he's just shooting a shot across the bow. He's just letting them know what, what the really what the real characteristic is of that generation and what they're doing, right? Um, they think they're doing what's right while they're doing what's completely wrong, completely backwards as far as the kingdom goes. So this is a direct reference to the the opposition that people are starting to have against Jesus and also toward the people who follow Jesus, like John. He's in prison for proclaiming the kingdom of heaven through repentance and baptism and awaiting his inevitable beheading as a result of this generation being one that attempts to take it by force, right? Starting from Herod, right on down the chain, all of them right? Violence, force, threat, mistreatment, intimidation, all, all, all by people who claim dibs on the kingdom of God. It's insane. And they have none. They have no dibs on the kingdom of God. They're enemies. And oh, by the way, if you can handle it, John's Elijah. You know, he, he kind of throws that out. Uh, verse 14. Uh, I mean, this is a bombshell. You know, if you want a bombshell, like for us, it's kind of weird. Um, this, was, this was even more of a bombshell for the, Jew, the Jewish person hearing it that day. Uh, they knew that this was a big deal. This was a big statement to make um, because their Old Testament uh, prophets prophesied that Elijah would come again, and the Jewish people knew it. They knew that, right? Now, what Jesus means by this has been a subject of surprise, great controversy, and debate. Some people disagree on, whether, on what, this, what, what this actually is, right? Uh, but praise God that we have some other scriptures to help us gain some clarity. So I'm going to look at two of them real quick. Again, you don't need to go there because I'm going to keep this kind of fast. But one of them is in Luke uh, chapter 1 where uh, we find out that that Zechariah is going to have a son. Angel, angel of the Lord comes to Zechariah, says you're going to have a son. Uh, he's going to be John. So there's this conversation that goes on between the angel and Zechariah. And, and it says this, the angel said to Zechariah, don't be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard. Your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. And you will have uh, joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth. For he will be great before the Lord, and he must not drink wine or strong drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the... Listen to this. He will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will go before them in the spirit and the power of Elijah. Of Elijah, right? To turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready for the Lord a people prepared, right? That's a very interesting verse, like one that, that, that kind of matters for us uh, here. So 
Um, who was Elijah? You guys know who Elijah was, right? Uh, he was an Old Testament prophet that was living during some of the darkest days of the nation of Israel. When they had nothing, they were being plundered by others. Nobody was really worshiping God. Nobody was following the law. There was no temple. And, and what was he known as? God, God calls Elijah, puts his anointing on him. He was a voice crying in the wilderness, doing the same thing that John the Baptist did. He was out in weird places saying, repent, turn from your sin to God. It's the exact same thing John the Baptist does with Jesus. Repent and turn. He's here. Same thing. So this is, this is kind of what we're, we're, we're getting at. Uh, with some of this. So the angel clarifies the connection between John and Elijah, and the connection is that John will not be Elijah, right? We read that in Luke 1, but like in the spirit and power of Elijah. That's what we're seeing clarified there. Uh, John will do the same type thing. Gospel of John, let me read you this one real quick, um, just to give you a couple things to, to go home and look at. Uh, same type thing. Um, check this out. Uh, John the Baptist comes on the scene. People are tripping out, right? The Pharisees are like, we need to go figure out who this is. So they send people to go and grill this guy. And uh, it says, uh, this is the testimony of John. The Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, who are you? Like, who in the world are you, right? Uh, and, and, and he confessed and did not deny, but confessed, I'm not the Christ. So he's sensing that they're expectant of and wondering if he may not be the Messiah. Right? And he says, I'm not. He just cuts them off at the past. No, I'm, I'm not the Christ, right? So they ask him, what then? Are you Elijah? This is number two, question number two. And John said, I am not. Just straight out says, I'm not. I am not Elijah, right? Are you the prophet? That's a whole other study. We're not even going to touch. Uh, and he answered, no. And they said to him, who are you then? Um, and it goes on. So he's asked this question straight up, like, are you Elijah? And he's like, no. So there's, there's, you put a couple of these things together, and uh, it seems like that's not the best way to go, is to say John the Baptist is actually a reincarnated Elijah. Spirit and power of Elijah? Yes. Same ministry as Elijah? Yes. That's what's meant, I believe, by Christ here. Okay, there's my two cents. Um, 16 through 19, let's close this out. See? It's not bad. To what shall I compare this generation? It is like children sitting in the marketplaces and calling to their playmates. We played the flute for you and you did not dance. We sang a dirge and you did not mourn. For John came neither eating nor drinking. You know what? Let's just stop there. Let's just look at that real quick. Uh, so, so what's going on here? I believe that Jesus is just giving them an accurate evaluation of what they're like as a, as a generation right, in the time that they live. And he does it by giving them a couple of elementary examples that match their elementary mindset. <laughs> like, like, again, like, Jesus didn't mince words. Like, he wasn't afraid of people. Um, he wasn't trying to be a jerk, but he just shot straight when he shot, when he pulled, you know what I mean? Um, because he is of truth. He is truth. And so he spoke truth. Um, this is not a compliment, <laughs> This is not a compliment that he's giving them. Um, in a nutshell, what this means is we have put out a call to you, and you have not responded. That's all it means. I know it looks like fancy language and some kind of weird, mysterious, fortune cookie type thing. It's not. That's all that's being said here. We have put out a call to you, and you have not responded. That's what's being said, right? Uh, music is a call to what? 
dirge is a call to what? Mourn. One says, get up and dance, let's go. The other one says, it's time to grieve, it's time to cry. Those are the responses that come from those things going off, right? And they do, they have done neither. They have done neither. John and Jesus have both put out that call that requires a response, and that generation has not budged. They have not moved. They have not responded. Um, why? Because they don't want to. They can find, and, and if you don't want to do something left to yourself, you can find any excuse, a million excuses not to, which is what they do right here in verses 18 and 19. They find excuses as to why they didn't respond to John, and they find excuses as to why they're not going to respond to Jesus. We will find them left to ourselves, and they do that same thing. Um, one was too radical and weird for them in his poverty and his self-denial, right? While the other one uh, was too weird for them and radical for them in his excess and his, his self-indulgence, right? So, so it, 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 there's two extremes, like different reasons why they, they weren't following either of them or buying either of their, their messages, right? Um, and that's basically all that's talking about. But regardless of their evaluation of John and Jesus and their lifestyles and why they're not responding and why they're rejecting them both, um, you cannot deny the fruit of their lives and what they taught. And that's what the very final statement is speaking of, right? Yet wisdom is justified by her deeds, meaning not her looks, not her appearances. And I know that you and I have lessons to learn from this, and maybe some of us have over the years. Looks and appearances give us very little. They tell us something, but they give us very little when it comes to what's actually being produced out of the life of somebody. And this is really what's being talked about here. It's kind of a challenge that he's actually putting forth with this statement. And thus is the hard, fast exposition of this text. Some of you are going, well, that's great, and some of it was interesting. What the heck does this mean to me? Like, what does this mean to me in my life? Um, I have three things. You're like, of course you do. Uh, it'll be quick. Uh, number one, and I, think, I do think we need to hear I know that I need to hear this. I know that when I got into this text two weeks ago and started studying it, like, it never fails. Like, God's given me exactly what I need. Number one, to doubt is not to deny. I'll, I'll hear a few more of those. To doubt is not to deny. Some of you need to hear this today. You need to know this again. Because this is a real thing. We do not wrestle against flesh and blood. We wrestle against spiritual things that are above our pay grade. And those things will say things to us that sound like they're from our Father. And they are not. And we will all struggle with doubt at different times of our lives in different ways at different levels. And it does not mean that you do not believe. That's what the other guy wants you to think. It's just doubt. Do you know how big your faith is? Smaller than a mustard seed. And so is mine. It's small. Doubt is a part of what we do. Right? It's a part of what we do. I want you to take heart, doubter, this morning, because Johnny B, <laughs> who saw Jesus and interacted with Jesus and baptized Jesus and saw the Spirit descend on Jesus, doubted. 
doubt it. So we're in all right company. All right. His doubts, his, his, his questions, his hesitations did not cause him to be lost. I want you to know that. John the Baptist is one of the greatest men that's ever lived. He was not lost. Do you know why he wasn't lost? Because his calling was from God, not himself. And so is yours. Listen to me. If you and I can lose our salvation, we will. Some of you can sit and argue with that and whatever. I'll give you scriptures. If we can lose this thing, if any of it depends on us, we will. So why can't we? Why are we secure? Why are we certain that this thing we have will be our eternal reality? Because it all depends on him. It is all about him. I would have walked away a long time ago if this thing was up to me. But God has secured me. Like you catch a fly, you know what I mean? There's that hand clap going on. I'm in the Father's hand, and I'm in the Son's hand. I'm not going anywhere. No one's going to take me out of that, 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 that hand clasp, including myself, right? What God determines to do, he simply does, because it pleases him to do so. And John the Baptist was chosen by God as his. And so he doubted, and yet he remained absolutely secure. And so do you. Okay, which brings us to number two. Number one, to doubt is not to deny. Number two, scripture is the answer to our doubt. Okay, like if I'm sick, I need some medicine. I need something. <laughs> you know what I mean? If my stomach tells me I'm hungry and I put food in there, it fixes it, right? If your doubt is going on in your life and you put scripture in there, it fixes it. It's the medicine. I'm not just saying that because it's cute and it's something I should say. I'm saying it because in the text that we were just in, what did Jesus do the whole darn time? He's prescribing scripture to everybody because that is what solidifies us. It's what puts away the doubt and establishes us once more on what is actually real and true, which is his love for us, not against us. You can never erase the cross and what happened 2,000 years ago. It's straight done, which means that that act, that, 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 that greatest act of God's love towards us remains. It never disappears. It never goes away. You don't have to look any farther than that if you're doubting that God loves you. This cross is always there. It's always standing. Blood on it, nails in it. Your rap sheet nailed to it. It's there, right? It's already done. Um, scripture, scripture um, is our answer to our doubt. We have all kinds of Bibles sitting in our houses, in our cars. I don't know where you, ha I have them everywhere, on the back of every toilet. You know what I'm saying? They're everywhere. Very rarely are those books open. Use it often. Travel it well. It's it, like, it, 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 it is the remedy for so much. And it doesn't surprise me that we doubt so much and we struggle so much through life when we don't open it. It's the word of God for you every time. It is truth every time. Okay. Number three, blessed are those who dance when the music is played. Okay. These guys were idiots because they didn't respond. They didn't dance when the music was played. The music's being played right now. 
Christ lived a sinless life. He died a sinner's death in your place. He conquered death three days later, rising from the grave. He ascended. He's alive, bodily ascended to the right hand of God, where he now lives and intercedes for you and me. That is the gospel. That is for every sinner that's ever lived, which means it's for every human being minus him that's ever lived. This is the solution. This is the love letter. This is the music that we are called to respond to. And that music is still being played today all over the world and asking people to get up and dance to it, right? To dance to it. One day, that music will stop. And someone's going to be left without a seat. And I hope it's not you. I hope it's not you. So I would ask you today, if you never have, to respond to the life-giving call of Christ for you. It's all we got. This is the most important answer, thing that you can ever do in your life, decision you can ever make, whatever you want to call it, is what you do with Christ. There's nothing more important than what you do with Christ right now, today. Lord God, thank you so much once more for your word, even though it's challenged sometimes and it's, it's hard to understand sometimes and it's difficult sometimes, God. I, I, I thank you that every time I go there, life is injected into me in a new way, that it, that it transforms me, that it heals me, that it secures me once more. And I pray that for your people today. And I, and I, and I do pray for the one who maybe hasn't responded um, and is maybe challenged with doing so, uh, that, your, that your spirit would simply overwhelm their own will and their own stubbornness and their own rebellion that you would uh, cause it to melt so that they would see you and know that there's nothing greater than you. And so we ask you to be glorified in every way in the lives of all of your people, in the hearts of all your people today. In Jesus' name, amen.